Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. So good morning, Seacoast Vineyard Church. How are you today? Good. My name is Lauren Bass, and I am a member here at the Vineyard, and I am so excited to be speaking in front of you today and with you because we are on this journey together. I am a campus missionary and minister with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at CCU down the road, and I love what I do. I love working with college students. They are trying to figure out who they are, and what they will become. Now, due to a broken wrist and a few surgeries later, I usually love to talk with my hands, but you're only gonna get half the fun this morning. (laughs) I'm gonna speak at a volume to keep you alert this morning, not because I want to be heard, but because Jesus needs to be known. This morning, If you have a Bible, you can take out your book of the word and turn to Colossians. We are going to take a a look at a few verses in the book of Colossians, in Colossians 4. A few things before we get started. I love to study scripture. I love to study scripture with a curious posture. I want to be a learner seeking transformation. And so I've been praying that over you as well, that you all would be learners seeking transformation through scripture. So let me pray for us before we get started. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for every individual who maybe didn't realize they were going to be here this morning or who were supposed to be here this morning. Lord, we know everyone is here handpicked for a reason. So Jesus, I ask that you would allow us to hear the word Would we apply this word, and would we be agents of change and transformation? So Jesus, we love you. Amen. All right, so Colossians, it's a rich and concentrated book of the Bible, but it's a letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the people in Colossae. Who writes letters anymore? Snail mail, anyone? I love writing letters. I love receiving thank you cards. I love going to the mailbox, 2.30 p.m. My roommates know that I'm chilling at the mailbox, waiting for my mail lady to come deliver me good news. I think, for the most part. (laughs) And so, here's the context. Paul is writing to the Colossians, okay? He's in prison. He's in Roman prison. Why? Because he was preaching Jesus Christ. So, Paul is in prison. His back is probably up against a dusty wall on a dirty floor, writing a letter. Now, it's probably extra snail mail back in the day, 2,000 years ago. But here's the cool part. He's giving final instructions to the people in Colossae about what to do. Because the people he's writing to are, are like us. It's a church. People who have already said yes to Jesus... But there are new philosophies taking place. Now, these philosophies are not very clear to us. And 
they're just not clear. And so we're only getting one side of the phone call. But our side is pretty awesome. Let's take a look at Colossians 4, 5 through 6. Here's what it says. It says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, let me tell you something really cool that I learned while studying this passage. Something that some of you may know, but I know I didn't know this before I studied this. So the gospel is good news. The, that's what the gospel means. It comes from the Greek word yangleon. And that word wasn't originally a Christian term. The gospel wasn't originally a Christian term. It actually means to herald the arrival of a king or a kingdom. It's a military term, a political term. And it's, it's about authority and power delivering wonderful news on a joyous occasion. And so the gospel, what, what is the gospel? We hear, it, we hear it all the time. But the world was damaged by evil. God designed it for good. And so Jesus came into the world to restore that through himself, through the cross, and now Jesus is inviting you and me and our community to be a part of healing and transformation to not only this city, but to the world. So I want you to listen to today's message with that gospel context in mind. So you have some notes if you want to track along with a sermon today. I would highly suggest getting a pen and your notes out I would like you to write down the first one. Number one is timely attention. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. What is interesting in the verses before this passage, Paul is asking the people in Colossae to pray, to pray that God wouldn't just open these prison doors for him to get out of this dusty old prison, for him to go out and do stuff for the Lord. What he's actually doing is saying, hey, would you pray that gospel doors would be open while I'm in prison so that I can explain the mystery of Christ to even the prison guards? He believes he is placed in prison for a reason and a purpose. And he is making the most of every opportunity, even if he's in prison. He's making the most of every opportunity. So I want you to, to do a personal inventory. Do you think God can change our city? Do you think God can rescue the international students that passed through Myrtle Beach this summer? Do you think God is working in your very generation? Do you think God can overcome your families or your children's hard hearts? On my college context, 
I work with the college students. And if I'm honest, I don't always believe that God is using me to move the hearts of college students. I don't always believe that. And I've actually got to repent over that and weep over that, that I don't believe and trust in the Lord, that he's always using me to impact college students. And so I want to go the other way and trust him. And so perhaps Jesus is asking a lot of you, if you don't believe that God can impact your generation or impact our city or impact the international students coming through the cafe, maybe that's something you need to take to the Lord and actually weep over and actually confess and turn the other way and trust him. And so then we look at the passage and it says, be wise towards outsiders. All right, be wise to outsiders. That's a little, that sounds like a TV series. Is that a TV series? No, serious question. All right, I, I don't know if it is. But who's on the outside? Are you on the outside? Am I on the outside? I, who is on the outside? Literally the Greek from this passage says to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And the word outsiders generally refers to non-Christians. We see that in 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians. However, in Jewish law, it may include believers in the church who are standing outside correct teaching. And perhaps Paul had both groups in mind. God wants you to make the most of every opportunity, every opportunity with outsiders. The Greek says to redeem the time, to buy up the opportunity. So basically the sense would be don't just sit there and wait till something falls into your lap and then expect something to happen. Go seize the opportunity. Buy up the opportunity. So how do you behave towards people that aren't like you? Do you snub them because they aren't holy enough? Do you just tolerate them? Are you kind to them? Where do you fit in? And walking with outsiders includes a broad area, not just a spiritual matter, but a practical matter as well. So, for example, I have some friends who have 20 to 30-year-old young adults come hang out, hang out at my house every Wednesday evening to just be in community together. Let me tell you, we have college ministry, we have older ministry, we have children's ministry, but that, there's a really awkward category with the 20 to 30-year-old young adults who are not in college, they're working kind of full-time, they're just, they're just in a really weird, awkward category. And so what we wanted to do was just say, hey, let's just be in community and hang out with each other once a week. And so because of that, my roommates and I started to realize, wow, we really need to start cleaning our house on a regular basis. Because if we're going to be hospitable, yeah, we need to clean up. 
I'll take the blame for most of it. But I didn't want other people to look at my house and say, wow, the messiest house in the neighborhood belongs to that missionary Jesus-following chick. I didn't want that. So God has put me in a position of impacting my generation. Yes, I work with college students, but yes, I'm also a young adult who's 24, and I also want to impact my generation as well as the younger generation. And so I want to pay attention. I want to use that time wisely, spiritually and practically. So where have you been put into position? I want you to write that down on your notes. Where have you been put into position? Who is in your sphere of influence? As you're writing these down, I want to tell you that these aren't just random people you happen to intersect with. They are designed and orchestrated by God, the creator of the universe. If I had a commentary to my side, I would say, that'll preach. So the next villain, I am completely leading out of my brokenness. I'm being honest because I'm not always great at this next point. The next point is gracious words. The passage says, let your conversation be always full of grace, full of, as if there's hardly room for anything else. When I was in middle school, my mom would take my siblings and I to 7-Eleven before field hockey practice to go fill up our ultimate big extra big gulp situations. You guys remember those? I don't know if they still do those. But we would fill those up before field hockey practice. Not sure it was an excellent hydrator, Slurpee. But we were in middle school. We didn't care. But I just remember filling it up so much so that Slurpee would just be spilling down the side. I was like, yes, I got as much as I could. But there was hardly room for anything else. And so the meaning of this verse is two-pronged. Let your words be rooted in grace as if that's where you live and you breathe. Let your words be gracious and attractive. So to do this, you really need to stand in the grace in which we live. It's hard to live it and talk it if you, my friends, don't love it. So I invite you to fall in love with God's grace this morning. I have a confession to make. I have not always been gracious in my speech. I have a very good friend who is struggling in her faith. She had been going through some tough life situations And I had been counseling along the side of her. But I myself got a little frustrated because I didn't think she was using her situation to make the most of every opportunity. 
And so as she was sharing her heart with me, I said, you know what? Then just quit. Was that gracious? No. That wasn't gracious. Thankfully, the Lord has been showing me how to respond quickly. (laughs) And by quickly, oh man, I didn't mean to say that. (laughs) And say, I am so sorry I said that. Not only am I sorry and want to confess that to you, but I am sorry to you, Father God, for hurting you. Thankfully, she is still my dear friend. I have grown in compassion, and she hasn't walked away from her faith. But what I want to do this morning is take some time to do this, because I think this is really important. I want to publicly apologize to those who have been hurt by followers of Jesus. I want to say I'm sorry for the insensitive things that we have said to you. I am sorry if our actions have not always met our words. And I'm sorry for our lack of gracious words. And this is why Jesus did what he did on the cross. And this is why we need a gracious savior. We are broken people leading broken people. And I will be the first to say that I'm a broken person leading broken students. I'm not afraid to admit that. So let your words be always full of grace, full of, as if there's hardly room for anything else. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. If you want to write this down, is salty speech. The word salty in our vernacular means something totally different than what this passage is talking about. Okay, salty in our society means I'm pretty bitter or I'm upset. So, for example, you could be really salty about the weather today. You could be really salty about the lack of waves ever in Myrtle Beach. You could be really salty about the tourists that come into town, right? And I see a lot of salty Facebook status updates and tweets on my newsfeed that my friends, you guys better add some sugar to those or you're going to get some unfollows. Now this salty language is not the type of salty language that Paul is talking about. What he's actually talking about is referring to witty, amusing, humorous speech. In Ephesians 4, 29, it states that their saltiness will prevent them from becoming irrelevant bores. So when I said yes to Jesus in college, I was so on this Jesus high 
this zealous Jesus high that I wanted everyone to know that I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. So most of my Facebook statuses were Bible verses, and a lot of my tweets had hashtag blessed, hashtag hallelujah, hashtag things Jesus never said. Which is great that I wanted to tell everyone about my newfound faith. That's great. But let me tell you, my words weren't always filled with grace. Most of my conversation when I was in my zealous Christian walk, my baby walk with Jesus, most of my conversation was filled with salt, seasoned with grace. Whereas Paul is referring to and saying, your conversation needs to be full of grace, seasoned with salt. I had a real desire there. I had a real desire and a walk with Jesus, but I was unstable and insecure. I was imbalanced. And so I wanted to feel good about my own life. You see, salt is a preservative. It adds flavor. It makes really boring food taste good. And it makes people wanting to come back for more. And so this passage, Paul is referring to and talking about, when you talk about the gospel, when you talk about Jesus, yeah, you should talk about him in a relevant engaging, attractive, compelling way. It's like talking to a first grader with college terminology. That doesn't work. (laughs) That really doesn't work. And so sometimes we present the gospel as though we are robots. We approach a person, push a button, dump our speech, and then expect them to respond. And I'm sorry, but that's not the right approach. I've done that. I work among 18 to 22-year-olds. It doesn't work. We must have sensitivity to those we meet. We need to actually understand their felt needs and where they are coming from. We need to listen. And so what Paul is talking about is not knowing the facts about the gospel. Because we look at 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul is very clear about what the gospel is. So it's not that Paul doesn't know what it is, but what he is saying is, I want you to be clear in your communication so that it will be clear to those whom we meet. He wants Christ to be known by the power of the Spirit so that God can use it. So the effective presentation of the gospel is not learning a bunch of phrases and then dumping them out to the next person we see or interact with. It's a matter of being sensitive to the people we meet and feeling their felt needs. So you're thinking, all right, Lauren, great. I really don't have that zingy of a personality. That's okay, because salt tastes different on steak. What else? Salt tastes different on watermelon? 
Salt tastes different on corn. Salt tastes different on eggs. Salt tastes different on a lot of things. But there is a salty you and there is a blah boring you. And God says, be salty. He says, be salty, especially, especially when you are talking about my grace and my love to my people. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So you're thinking, okay, how do I be salty? Well, if something tastes really good, you can't really fake it tasting really good. So just talk as though you're talking about tastes really good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so I want to invite you to fall in love with the taste of God. Timely attention. Gracious words and salty speech. The gospel is good news for all people. It's good news for you. Let me tell you, it's good news for me. <laughs> we must know how to listen to those outsiders, to get to know them and try to understand them. We need to have spiritual ears to hear and spiritual eyes to see. If we want to enter into a relationship with others, we need to pay attention to opportunities. We need to lace our words with grace and season our speech with salt. Otherwise, our efforts will be perceived as a desire to impose our religion, our culture, our ideas when they are already afraid of losing theirs. And so I want to pray for you all this morning. I want to pray that you guys would become aware, that you guys would pay attention to what is happening in and around you. It's being orchestrated by God. And I want to pray that your words would be gracious. We've all slipped up in this area. And I want to pray that your speech would be salty, not bitter, not upset, but with winsome, with attraction. So let me pray for us this morning. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.